good evening, New Hope. Welcome to Good Friday uh, evening worship. I'm used to saying afternoon. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm one of the elders here. We want to welcome everybody, uh, all members, guests, visitors. You are so welcome here today. So as we get ready to uh, start today's worship service, uh, this day is a very momentous day for all of humanity. Um, this is the, the day where some pastors describe the great exchange that happened, where our sins are placed onto the cross, onto Jesus Christ. And if we accept him as Lord and Savior, his righteousness comes to us, a great exchange. So I'd like everybody that's in, in person here, if you could stand and open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. That's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And when you have the verse, just look up at me so I know everyone's got it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Okay, and in a couple minutes, uh, I'm going to read this verse. And if many of you know this verse, it's a famous verse. Uh, but I think it's uh, very appropriate for a Good Friday. Um, and then afterwards, we'll, we'll have a time of individual quiet uh, reflection uh, on the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus, uh, what that means for you and your life, um, and just contemplate what happened on the cross. I think we're so busy with uh, our lives and there's so many things going on. It's oftentimes, uh, even as Christ followers, it's, it's easy to forget what he did, what it means, and essentially the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So after I read this, um, we'll have a couple minutes of quiet time of reflection. Imagine Christ on the cross, suffering and dying for, for you, and maybe even imagine him looking down at you and saying he loves you, and imagine what he would say to you on this Good Friday. So let me read Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a couple minutes of quiet individual prayer.
Jesus, thank you, thank you for suffering and dying for us and willingly going to the cross, paying the sacrifice of your life, showing ultimate, unconditional love for people that didn't know you or even your enemies. You died for us. Lord Jesus, we want to remember you today. We want to remember the immense sacrifice that you paid for all of us. Uh, help us to understand why you died, what that means for us, and how we should live moving forward knowing the sacrifice that you did for us. Would you use every part of today's service to point the attention to you, Jesus, and what you have done for all of us, and help us to understand, embrace the gospel a little bit more when we leave today. Thank you for this Friday, this good Friday that you died for us. We pray all this in your name.
Christ the Lord upon the tree in the stead of ruined sinners hangs a lamb in victory see the price of our redemption see the my 
my great opponent. Fear once had a hold on me, but the Son who died to save us rose that we would be free indeed. Take a, may I'll take your seats if you'd like. I want to welcome all of you once again. Thank you for coming out to worship our crucified Savior together as his people, people who need the cross, whether we realize it or not. In a moment, I'm going to invite uh, Ryan and Becca Martin. They're going to come up here in just a second, and they're going to read God's word to us from the prophet Isaiah. They're going to read words that were written centuries before the birth of Christ that speak of his coming to this earth and his death. Prophesy, Isaiah prophesied of Christ's birth and death long before he ever came. And so we're going to read those words of prophecy. And then um, Curtis and John and Janine are going to lead us in another song. We're going to sing together about our Lord and to our Lord. And then following that song, uh, Sang and Jennifer Yoon are going to come up and they're going to read another portion of God's word to us from the Gospel of Mark, which speaks about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So that's where we're headed over the next few minutes. Let's, uh, let's hear God's word together as Robert and Becca, as Ryan and Becca come on up here. Uh, this is from the book of Isaiah, chapter, starting with char chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished 
at you, his appearance were, was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. That which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Church, let's rise and sing this next song.
Word of God comes from Mark 15, verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns. They preed on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. 
And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, a Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means a place of skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he, he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them and decide what each should take. And it was third hour when they crucified him. And the in, inscription of the charge against him read, the king of Jews, and with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with their scribes mocked him to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And when and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph and Salome. When he was, when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. This is the word of the Lord. Believe the words we've just read, and not just to believe, but to care and understand that this is the most important story ever told. Uh, welcome once again, all of you. It's great to see your faces and to imagine the, the faces of those of you who are at home on this Zoom call with us. I don't know how many of you remember this, but back in October 2003, the United States invaded the nation of Iraq. And seven months later, President George W. Bush stood aboard the aircraft carrier USS Abraham Lincoln. He had a banner above him that read, Mission Accomplished. And the president declared that day, quote, in the Battle of Iraq, the United States and our allies have prevailed. He called Operation Iraqi Freedom a job well done and announced that, quote, major combat operations in Iraq have ended. Remember above him that banner, mission accomplished. Tragically, the war in Iraq would last another eight brutal years. And over 3,500 more American troops would die. I don't know how many Iraqi lives would be lost as well. Seven months into the war, mission accomplished was declared. But the war would in fact rage on for another eight years. And that speech would be remembered as a great example of speaking too soon. Some said it was just naive, it was a miscalculation. Others said that it was a dishonest attempt to manipulate the public. To his credit, the president would later admit that the whole thing was a bad idea. He said, quote, clearly putting a mission accomplished banner on an aircraft carrier was a mistake. Hindsight is 2020. But if you remember that, or maybe you remember events similar to that, maybe you'd agree with me that things like this, they have the effect of confirming our skepticism. Skepticism about politicians, maybe specifically, but about others too. It, it reinforces our cynicism. Perhaps you are already naturally suspicious when someone says, mission accomplished. When a mechanic says to you, 
Yeah, we took care of the problem. Your car's fine. Do you ever wonder, is it really fine? Or when a technician hands you your device back and says, you should be fine now. You should be good to go. Do you like me? Do you wonder, should, why should be? What do you mean? Should be fine? Is it fixed or not? Or even worse, when a general contractor who's remodeling your house says, we should be done by the first of the month. How many of us really would bank on that? Those of us who are parents, we know all too well that if you ask a child if they clean their room, if they really clean their whole room, no matter how many times they say yes, you must verify for yourself. We are understandably suspicious of mission accomplished banners in our life. In the Gospel of chapter, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, Jesus Christ is not standing triumphantly on an aircraft carrier with a cheering audience and a banner behind him. No. He's stripped. He's bloody. He's gasping for air. He's hanging impaled on a cross with a sign that said, mockingly, sarcastically, King of the Jews above his head. He was unrecognizable because of the beating that he had received. He looked like he was finished. It looked, for all intents and purposes, like the mission to kill Jesus was accomplished. He's about to take his last breath. And Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. And the Gospel of John gives us a little bit more detail about what it was exactly that Jesus cried out at the top of his collapsing lungs. John chapter 19, verse 30, tells us, Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished, is what he declared. Three final words. In Aramaic, it's really just one word. Tetelestai means completed, Done. Accomplished. Mission accomplished. You might say that that word communicates the central message of the entire New Testament. And, and it revol resolves, I should say, all of the tension that's built up in the Old Testament, really in the entire Bible. It is finished, resolves all of it. So here's the, here's the idea that I hope we all walk away with tonight. What Jesus finished, you don't need to finish, and you can't. What Jesus finished, you don't need to finish. In fact, you can't. As early as three chapters into the Bible, this much becomes very clear to anyone who reads this book. Humanity has not lived up to the expectations of its creator. We have not lived up. God's basic requirement of humanity was this, that we love him and that we love others. That we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love others, other people, as we love ourselves. You might say God gave us one job. One job. Love God and others. And we've all failed at that job. 
And that failure plays itself out in a billion different ways. It plays itself out at the personal level. It's there in our pride and our selfishness, our lust, our anger. What are all those but, but, but just manifestations of the same failure to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as ourselves? It plays itself out in our lies and our greed and our partiality, that is our favoritism, whether that takes the form of racism or it takes the form of sexism or classism or any other number of possible manifestations of partiality. And that, that personal sin, that depravity, that failure to do the one job we were given, it seeps into everything. It seeps into the communities that we form, the institutions that we create, the laws that we pass, all reflect that sin, that depravity, that failure to love God and love others. It's there in everything that we put our hands to. Sin and depravity are baked into it all so that the personal sin and that that systemic or, or structural sin that's just a result of our personal sin when it's put to work in building structures and societies and governments and businesses and families. It's there. It's always there. Baked into it all so that the personal sin and the systemic sin, it, it characterizes us and it characterizes our societies. All because we have not loved God and have not loved others. It's the sin that leads to large-scale injustice like violence and international violence, horrors like the Holocaust, terrorism. It's also that same sin that leads to gang violence, domestic violence, police brutality. It's the same sin that leads a six-foot man to beat an elderly woman outside the part authority. It's the same sin that leads countless passerbys to, to see her and just keep walking or just keep recording. It's the same sin that leads parents to neglect their children and leads children to dishonor their parents, disobey their parents. It's the same sin. It's our sin. And the Bible's clear on this. It says no one is righteous. No one is off the hook. The world is a mess. Would you agree? The world is a mess. But it's our mess. We made it. It's our mess to live in now and to pay for later. We have neglected the work of our Creator, the work that He gave us, the work of cultivating our environment, the work of cultivating relationships both with one another and with God. The work of cultivating our world, by loving God and loving others, like I said, we had one job, love God and one another, and we all failed. And no attempt to make it right is going to fix what we've broken. In fact, Paul says, because of, this is Romans 2, he says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, we're not fixing what we've broken. If anything, we're adding to the brokenness. Some of us, maybe we're, 
we're, we're, we're in denial that we're even responsible for the brokenness around us. And in that denial, we're doubling down on our bad work, doubling down on our failures, and in so doing, storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Have you ever taken on a project at home, for instance, only to realize that you are in over your head? Have you ever tried to fix something at home? Maybe it's a car maintenance problem. Maybe it's a do-it-yourself job at home. Maybe you're trying to fix a computer. Whatever it is, you're trying to fix it. Maybe it's a gardening project. Who knows? Maybe it's something as simple as making dinner. You're in the process and you realize, I am in over my head. I thought I had this under control. It's humbling, isn't it? You, you gave it a real shot, but eventually you had to realize, I need to cut my losses and call in a professional or order out. <laughs> I need to find an expert to come in and fix this for me so he can knock out this job and then just come to me and tell me, it's finished. Here's the bill. And I'll be happy to pay that bill at that point. Because I realized that this is a job that I could not do on my own. Well, Jesus, Jesus is the proverbial expert in this scenario. He is the one who, he is the professional. He is the one who loved God and others perfectly. He met every single expectation of the Father. He did the job that humanity was given to do. And he's the only human who was ever able to do that. Every day of his life, the will of God was perfectly done accomplished through his words and actions and thoughts so that his father could look at him and say with sincerity and without any qualification this is my son in whom I am well pleased is that impressive that the one job we were given to do and all failed at Jesus was given the same job and he never failed once he knocked it out of the park perfectly every single day of his 33 years on this earth. It's impressive, no? But, but how does his stellar record help us? <laughs> if, if anything, it just makes our performance look worse, doesn't it? Like the guy in the workplace or the woman in the workplace who works so well that it makes everyone else look bad in the whole place. You feel like saying, hey, take it easy, please. You're making the rest of us look terrible. But what if, what if Jesus' work, what if the job that he did in carrying out the mission of humanity to love God and love others perfectly, what if his accomplishment of that perfect task wasn't just impressive? What if it wasn't just an example? But what if it really was for us? What if Jesus' aim wasn't just to do the job, but to do it for us? So that his perfect record, his resume, his spotless, impressive accomplishments could somehow become ours. Credited to us. So that he could tell us, it's finished. I did it for you. And here's the bill. Now, I think that would be great news, but it's like when the expert fixes your plumbing or fixes your car or, or, or does whatever it is that you need done and, and then completes that project that you couldn't handle. 
and says, here, I did it for you. It's finished. But of course, we still have the problem of that bill, don't we? <laughs> Who's going to pay that bill? <laughs> and here's where we see the deeper beauty of who Jesus is and the deeper beauty of the gospel. Because not only did Jesus Christ, the Son of God, complete the job that we were given to do, but failed miserably had, he, <laughs> he even covers the bill that we racked up with our failure. He perfectly loves God and he loves others in every way. And then, and then on top of that, he pays the cost for our failure with his own life. All the wrath that we laid up for ourselves, he takes it. He took it. That's what we see on the cross. That's what we just sang about in these songs. That's why the rugged cross can be called our salvation. This is where Jesus sealed the work, completed it to the end, and then paid the bill for the mess that we made in our failure to do that job. It's Jesus finishing the work and paying the bill. It's what the cross shows us. One, one author put it this way. He said, if you, if you want to think about what Jesus experienced on the cross, think of it this way. Pains and agonies that it would have taken the world an eternity to endure were all poured out on Jesus in one horrific moment. The pain and agony that it would have taken the world an eternity to endure was blasted, poured out on Jesus in one horrific moment. He takes it, and with his final breaths, he cries out, It is finished. What's finished? The work, the debt, the bill, it's done. All of it is done. And that's something, something of the beauty of the gospel. Because other religions, and we don't even have to think about other religions, just think about your own heart. What does your own heart say about forgiveness? Our hearts say, you want forgiveness from God? Or you want forgiveness from me? Okay. Do better. And maybe I'll forgive you. Get to work earning my forgiveness, and then maybe, maybe I will forgive you. It's what our hearts say. It's what our culture teaches us. And it's what many religions tell us. But what does the gospel say? The gospel says, it's finished. It's finished. Here's the problem with that for many of us. It's too incredible. It's too good to believe. So many of us, we are, or not all of us, are constantly tempted to doubt that it is in fact finished. That the work that we failed to do has been done on our behalf, the bill has been paid, is it really done? Is it really? Even if you've believed that it is finished, you still run the chance every day of living as if it's not true. Living as if there's something else that you need to do to make up for your failings. 
Something that you need to do to make yourself a little bit more acceptable to God. Something that you need to do to contribute if God is really going to keep accepting you, keep forgiving you, keep putting up with you. There's that sneaking suspicion in the human mind that God is going to come looking for more. And that suspicion can lead you in one of two ways. Either one, it can lead you to live with insecurity and doubt because you're not sure if God really has accepted you based on Christ's work for you. So you live with that, that constant insecurity. Or, or it can lead you in the other direction. You live with pride because you think your own goodness actually makes you a little bit more acceptable to God. Sure, Jesus had to die for you, but, but your goodness makes you a little bit easier for God to accept. You're not quite as hard to accept as some other people are. And so we go in one of these two directions. We either live with insecurity or self-righteousness, either fear or pride. But both, both have the root in the same place. And the root is this. You don't believe Jesus when he said it's finished. You don't believe him when he says it is done. How do you try to add to the work? How do you try to make, how do you try to, to finish up that work? How do you try to make yourself a little bit better, a little bit easier to accept, a little bit, how do you try to make yourself more confident that God will, in fact, accept you and has, in fact, forgiven you? What do you try to add? One way to ask the question is, how do you try to justify yourself? How do, how do you try to make yourself a little bit more deserving, to feel a little bit better? Deserving of God's acceptance. Maybe, maybe you try to justify yourself by lots of hard work. Maybe you try to justify yourself through your parenting or through the way that you treat your spouse, or you try to justify yourself through your politics. These things don't make you acceptable to God, but they make you a little bit better than the other people around you. They make you a little bit easier to accept than these other folks. They're not quite as good at parenting or husbanding or wifing or whatever the words are, or, or their politics are just so much worse than you, or they just, they're just not as diligent as you or... You don't study the Bible as much as you. You are somehow making yourself more acceptable. Is that possible that you think you are through in these ways? Well, what Jesus finished, you don't need to finish. And you can't. Jesus is never going to take back his declaration. He's not going to look back in a few years and say, yeah, well, that, that was, you know, I spoke a little early. The work was, in fact, finished. The sacrifices of... What did Jesus finish? He finished... The sacrifices of the Old Testament were finished once and for all. Satan was finished. Even though he thought he was finishing Christ. Because Jesus' mission was, in fact, accomplished in full. How, how often do you end the day, the work day... Worrying about everything on your list that you didn't get done. Isn't it a terrible feeling to realize the workday's over? My time is gone. And I've still got a long list of things that I didn't even get to. 
We're sometimes afraid to shut down and, 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 and unplug from work because our work's not finished. Or, or we shut down and we go home anxious. We go to bed anxious because we know that there's going to be so much work waiting for us tomorrow. And really, if we're honest, we know that there's going to be work left for the next person who replaces us after we're long gone. What does Jesus do at the end of his work day? On that Friday, when he died on the cross, he ends by saying, into your hands I deliver my spirit. This isn't Jesus giving up. Like you and me at the end of a work day, we're like, I didn't get half the stuff done that I wanted to, but I give up. I'm going home. No, this is not Jesus giving up. This is not him surrendering to the task. This is him resting because it's all finished. Because he finished and rested, we can rest too. We can rest from trying to justify ourselves. We can rest from trying to make ourselves a little bit more acceptable, a little bit better than the next guy or the next woman. We can give ourselves to other kinds of work, work that's much more fun than self-justifying and making yourself more acceptable to God. You know what kind of work we can, we can rest from that. You know what kind of work we can give ourselves to? Give ourselves to the work of enjoying God's grace, the work of worshiping, the work of following and obeying, the work of confessing our sins freely because we know that they've already been forgiven, the work of repenting from sin because we know that the Spirit helps us to do that. And and the reason that work is so much fun to do that work, even though it is hard, what makes it so wonderful is that we know that none of it adds or detracts from what Jesus has already done. In a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. The Lord's table is a place that we're reminded that it is finished. It's a supper table. It reminds us of dinner time. I know in our culture it's a little different, but throughout the ages, human history, dinner time meant the workday's over. You've been farming all day. You've been working all day. It's done now. Come home, sit down at the table, and eat. We eat and work at the same time. That's something we were made to do. The Lord's Supper reminds us that food comes at the end of the workday. So set aside your work, turn away from it, and rest, and receive, receive, receive. When we come to the Lord's table, we don't come bringing anything to the table but ourselves. Many of us have been told that when you get invited to someone's house for dinner, you bring something. Right? It's good manners. Bringing something disqualifies us from this table. It's the only thing that will get us rejected at this table, is trying to bring something to make ourselves welcome. No, Jesus says, bring nothing but yourself. That's how this supper works. At this supper, we must always show up empty-handed. It's the only way he receives us.
But as often as we show up empty-handed, we can never show up uninvited if we're showing up, believing in what he's done for us. When Jesus said the work is finished, mission accomplished, he meant it. And he leaves us with these words so that we must choose whether we believe or reject his declaration. Some of us have already believed it, but we have a hard time living as if it's true. But I wonder if some of us have never even believed it to begin with. And so maybe you find yourself on a treadmill trying to do better, be better. Whether it's to earn God's forgiveness or to earn the approval of others. Jesus comes to you and says, stop. Stop. Look at what I've done for you. What you need more than the approval of anyone in, their, in, the, in your world is the approval of your God. And you have it if you will simply believe in me. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, no matter how hard you find to, to, to keep clinging to this promise that it's finished, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, and you are welcome to take the bread and the cup together with us as we observe the Lord's Supper. In fact, you're, you're encouraged to come and take. If you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ, or you have questions about what it even means, if, if everything I've said tonight just sounds confusing, then I'm going to encourage you not to take the bread and the cup that we're going to pass out in just, a, in just a moment. Instead, what I encourage you to do is push in, push in to understand and to believe what Jesus means when he said those last three words. You can ask people here to talk to you about it. You can pray and read God's word. But when you embrace those three words, and they mean everything to you, then, then, I want to encourage you to come and take this bread and take this cup. You know? So I'm going to invite all of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the work of salvation has been done, to take the cup and the bread that you may have grabbed on your way in tonight. If you didn't grab those elements, you can just raise your hand. Gian and Robert are going to be walking around, and they'll bring you those elements. And then I'm going to ask you to just hold on to those for a second. Gian, can I? Oh, sorry. I'm going to ask you to just hold on to that for a moment. We're going to, oh, thanks, brother. We're going to read. Thanks. We're going to read from God's word in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to eat and drink. Jesus explains to his followers this bread and this cup, as unimpressive as this might look, is packed with significance, packed with so much meaning. This bread, he says, is my body offered up. This, this, this wine, this juice, it's, it's my blood poured out 
and he promises us that when we take these elements, as simple and mundane as they might be, but we take them with faith, faith not in the magical properties of what's in here, but faith in him and what he did for us, that there's grace in this for us. That, that we will find it easier to believe that it is finished the more we keep coming back to his table and believing and taking and eating and drinking again and again and again. So I'm going to pray for these elements, and I'm going to give us an opportunity on this Good Friday to come before God and to confess those ways in which we have functionally lived as if the work is not done. The ways in which we have functionally lived as if Jesus' declaration is suspect. Let's confess it to the Lord. Our Lord, we stand here at your table so grateful for the welcome you extend to us. But we ask, Lord, that beyond just the welcome, we ask that you would work powerfully in us to show us where we have doubted you. To show us where we've been working to make ourselves justified, to make ourselves acceptable, and approved, and delighted in, and beloved. Oh, Spirit, would you please show us? Reveal to us our sins so that we might find rest in you. Lord, we confess these sins to you, and we turn away from them. We confess and repent. And in repenting, we come back to you and trust in your finished work. Lord, please use this cup, this bread, to deepen our faith, to deepen our rest, Yes, to motivate us towards obedience and faith and, and confession and repentance. To motivate us towards joy. But help us to do all of that from a place of confident rest in the finished work that you accomplished on a Friday thousands of years ago with us on your mind. Amen. Reading from Mark chapter 14, verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Let's remove the wafer by, by lifting that cellophane. And brothers and sisters, let's eat together. To open up these cups. And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it, 
And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's drink together. Lord Jesus, what a joy it is to recline with you at your table. <laughs> and, and, and how it stirs up in us a longing to recline with you at your table once again, new in the kingdom of God. Amen. Curtis and Janine are going to come up, and, and John are going to come up, and they're going to lead us in final songs. Uh, New Hope, let's rise and uh, sing these last two songs. Son who died to save 
Thank you all for worshiping with us. It was uh, good to be reminded of the power of the cross and his work was finished on the cross. Let's come to our Lord again as we uh, close the evening with prayer. Father, we thank you for this love that was shown on the cross. What a love, uh, what a cost. And so that we can stand forgiven at the cross. Lord, we remember this day, the pain and the suffering on the cross, and all that Jesus was willing to endure perfectly. And despite the unimaginable pain on the cross and the pain of separation from the Father, we thank you that we can call this day Good Friday because we, we are, because of, his, because of his suffering, we have been set free. He paid the price to offer us the gift of eternal life. And as the Lord's Supper reminded us, help us never to take, granted, take for granted this huge gift of love on our behalf. Forgive us, Lord, for being too busy, too self-centered, or too distracted by other things, not fully recognizing what you have freely done for us. Thank you, Lord, that by your wounds we are healed. Thank you that sin and death have been conquered and that we have a great and sure hope of eternal life and you abiding with us now for those who trust you. Thank you that we can say with you, it is finished and death has lost its sting. We praise you for your making everything new. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you all for coming, and you are dismissed. And join us again for our Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our glorious Savior.